Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. And coming up, I'm going to preview this weekend's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers with Dave Schofield from Behind the Steel Curtain, the SB Nation Pittsburgh Steelers site. We'll go over all the key injuries and matchups that are facing the Eagles as they get ready to take on the 3-0 Pittsburgh Steelers coming up here on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock Eastern time in a bitter interview state rivalry and I don't know if you guys heard before but did you know the Eagles and Steelers used to be the same team for a couple years I know it has it's not going to get mentioned at all this week but it did actually happen um, so we're going to talk about that and we're going to get into some of the injury issues facing the one of the Eagles chief rivals in the NFC East the Dallas Cowboys had some big injury news come down this week and the Washington football team makes a major change you probably already know about it but we'll tell you about it a little bit more coming up and I'll give you my prediction for this Sunday Day's game coming up as well. Well, and joining me to help break down this weekend's game between the Eagles and Steelers is Dave Schofield from the fantastic SB Nation site behind the Steel Curtain. Uh, if you've been uh, trying to figure out what's been going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers so far this year, that's the site to hit, folks, to make sure you get in on uh, what the enemy is uh, up to and what they've been doing. And uh, make sure you're following Dave on Twitter at STLR, which sounds like Steeler, remember? STLR Super Fan Dad. Dave, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm just looking forward to the Steelers getting to play a game. Yeah, I know, right, because <laughs> I was going to get into that last week. You had the unexpected bye week all of a sudden uh, because of the the, tit- the Titans COVID-19 outbreak. And so uh, I know in, in Philadelphia here, we kind of were a little bit ticked off about that because you get a bye week coming into a game that really the Eagles absolutely have to have if they want to be considered playoff contenders this weekend but what was that like last week as you guys were going to play a game and then all of a sudden you're not playing a game well it it turned into what was a bye week but not even really a bye week because the Steelers they even had to get permission to just hold this this week's worth of practices the way they normally would out of a bye week they had to get that from the NFL and the NFLPA because the Steelers weren't informed that they weren't playing last week until Thursday when they were already at the facility yeah. So normally you're supposed to have four straight days off, which would in a bye week the way the Steelers do it, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they come back in on Monday. And they got permission to only have the three because they really didn't want to screw the Steelers over more than they already have. So. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it's I guess it's a little unfortunate then if you're Pittsburgh to, to you know, you're expecting a bye week at a certain point in the season and then to have it yeah. like, okay, it's now, you know. It's, yeah. It's kind of like. She's not happy at all. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> Um, well, I know you're also heavily involved in the podcast world. Brandon Lee Gatton, I know, uh, came on one of your podcasts this week. So uh, if anybody wants to learn more about the Steelers in a podcast version, how would they do that? Oh, well, we there's multiple ways to do it. We do live shows on YouTube six days a week. 
that we then also put onto our audio platform. And we have anywhere from three to four podcasts daily Mm -hmm. coming out. You can just look up, you could just go to anywhere you find podcasts and search Steelers and you should find us, or you could search for BT steel curtain and, and, and you'll find it there as well. But we're doing, you know, the, the YouTube shows, which we are even breaking into a couple parts just because of the length. We're doing injury updates. We're doing breaking news. We're doing, um, Coach Tomlin's press conference will come on and, and, and do a short podcast about those. And we have our regular scheduled morning shows, which are audio only that run six days a week because we even have two Steeler fans from Australia that wow. come on and do a Steelers touchdown under show on Saturday mornings. It is fantastic to get a perspective from the other side of the world on what it's like to be a Steelers fan. That's amazing. Well, that's very cool. So make sure you guys check all that out and uh, get your fix on uh, on our interstate rivals. And um, <laughs> I know that it's always an interesting uh, it's always an interesting meeting between the Eagles and Steelers. There have been some some classics in the past, and uh, you know, I don't know that we're going to get another one of those this weekend because I'm still not sold on the Eagles even after they beat the 49ers on Sunday night. But we're all feeling just a little bit better at least that there might be a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. But but before we dip into the Eagles too much, I want to I want to focus on. Uh, on the Steelers. And I want to talk about, I've been starting, I start off all these podcasts pretty much talking about the quarterback and Ben Roethlisberger was obviously a guy that I don't think a lot of us were sure exactly what we were going to get from him this year because he missed so much of last season with the elbow injury and quarterbacks use that part of their body uh, to throw the football. Just so, a little bit. Yeah. So far this year, it looks like he's off to a pretty good start. He's averaging 259 yards per game uh, through the air, seven touchdowns, one interception, a 105-2 passer rating, which is 10th best in the NFL. How has he looked to you since he's come back from the injury uh, and has been, at least through the first three games, putting up good numbers? He looks much better than the six quarters we got in 2019. <laughs> the Nation saw, saw that, and it was like you could tell something wasn't quite right. Whenever he made that throw in the game, I instantly right there said, I think that's his season. Mm-hmm. And, and the guys I was watching with another, with someone else from, the, from our website, and he's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, that's not good. Um, so it's this long road to recovery and the Steelers nation finally saw what it was like to not have Ben Roethlisberger for, for a season, you know, first time since 2004 and it makes a big difference and he has come back. But I tell you, when you come back to a team that has a very strong defense Mm -hmm. and the whole weight of everything isn't thrown on you and you have to, you know, take that surgically repaired elbow and carry everybody with it. That's a tough situation, but he's not in a tough situation because the defense is really what's leading this team right now. And Ben just has to do enough to make sure that the Steelers are getting the victories. And so far, he's looked healthy, though. They zip on the football. And oh, yeah. uh, I mean, he's, he's obviously getting older. I mean, he's a, he's a contemporary of Eli Manning, who's out of the league now for a couple of years. So th- mm-hmm. there's, there's obviously some age, I would imagine, that has accumulated on his legs and his ability to make plays uh, running the football. But has he been mobile? Has he, has, has he looked a little bit like the old Ben? Yeah, and he's actually taken off a few times, and, and it's like, oh, man, you can tell that he's 38 years old. <laughs> now, if, if you think Tom Brady's bad when he takes off, uh, Ben Roethlisberger is not that far behind, strictly because of the age, but he's not afraid to do it. He's not afraid to do what he's done in the past. Like he said after the first game of the season, it was the first – he's like his whole body was sore. He felt like he got run over by a train. He said the mm-hmm. second day he felt like he was run over by a car. He was hoping by the third day it would feel like he was only hit by a bike. But out of everything, 
his arm felt fine. It was just the rest of them. So getting that year off and, and kind of getting some rest and rejuvenation, mm-hmm. although he had to work the elbow, it's, it's actually working out pretty well for him so far in 2020. Now, the receiving core that Ben has to work with, I think, is a pretty underrated group. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster, who's got 160 yards on 17 receptions, but you've got guys like Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and uh, Eric Ebron's off to a great start as a tight end. You know, it's all these guys are putting up some pretty big numbers through the first three games. Um, you know, I, how, how would you rate this collection of receiving targets that Roethlisberger has to throw to? I would say it's the deepest group he's ever had. And wow. for someone who might like fantasy yeah. football and are looking for the Steelers for your fantasy fix, you're not going to get it because they're, I mean, when you talk about four wide receivers that the Steelers have that he, you could really go to any one of them at any time between mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster, between Deontay Johnson, who's really emerging and can get separation better than just about anybody in the league. James Washington, who is just so freakishly strong that he can just do crazy things. And then we've already seen from the rookie Chase Claypool um, that he just brings a whole different dynamic and can can get over the top. Then you add the two tight ends. You know, Vance McDonald isn't even coming in, you know, everyone, when you hear Vance McDonald, you think of the big stiff arm on Monday Night Football a couple years ago. But he's been excellent as a run blocker doing that part of it and still available – for just a few catches here or there. And Ebron, you could hit any of these guys. They're, it's not very good for a fantasy standpoint because you never know which guy's going to hit each week. Right. But as a fan standpoint, my goodness. You, know, you want to take away Juju? Fine. We'll get you with the other guys. It really doesn't matter. And the Eagles have a lot of flux going on right now in the secondary. They've had to move some guys around. Avante Maddox doesn't look like he's going to play. I mean, there's there, there's a lot of issues going on in the, in the Eagles secondary. And so... Uh, one of the areas really that I think that this that this game is going to hinge on is the Eagles defensive line going up against the the Pittsburgh offensive line. And I know running the running the football, the Steelers have done reasonably well this year. I think I saw James O'Connor's averaging like 75 yards on the ground per game. It's like top, it's top 10, but it's near the bottom of the top 10. But Benny Snell's running well. I mean, it's what we saw from this Eagles run defense was that if the defensive line can get penetration or if they can hold their blocks and make a stop, the Eagles are fine. Anytime they break through the defensive line and a running back gets to the linebacker level, it's over. You're getting a 10, 12-yard gain because the, line, the Eagles linebackers, this may be the worst collection of linebackers I've ever seen any team have in, in NFL history. It's, it's beyond awful. And so I'm curious as to how the, the running game, I know this is a team that's predicated on defense. A lot of times defense and running game go together. How has, how has, Pittsburgh, has Pittsburgh's offense been using the run to set up the pass, have been using the pass to, to – establish the run later in the game how how's the running game been been working for Pittsburgh this year honestly the running game has been closing out games Mm -hmm. that's been the biggest thing is that it's sometimes it's it's early it might not be super effective but they have used the run to close out games James Conner had a 59 yard run to close out to, to, to close out the um that would hold on now. I got to remember it's been so long. That was the Broncos <laughs> game. You know, that's what happens when, yeah. when, uh, when you haven't played for almost. Yeah, right. But, but the Steelers are the only team in the NFL that's had a hundred yard rusher every game. Mm-hmm. It just so hasn't happened to be the same player because in week one, James Conner got dinged up. Benny Snell came in, ran very well. He's had a couple fumbling issues. So then that it's been back to Conner. In week three, that was the first time that the Steelers even put Anthony McFarland, their fourth-round draft pick, on the field. And he mm. ran very effectively mm. with the few carries that he had. 
usually the Steelers are one of those bell cow teams. They just want to give it to one guy and just give it and give yeah. it and give it. They do not have a running back that's had that's hit 20 carries yet this season hmm. because they spread it out a little bit more. They're still a primary, but I kind of like what they're doing there. They use the run to close out the game. They go to it when they need to, but it's it's been about the best balance Steelers fans have seen for a long time. You know, you've mentioned a couple times how you have rookies that are producing, and in Philadelphia, we don't understand that. I, I don't, I'm not sure how it's possible that you can have a rookie actually produce for you, but, I mean, we, when you throw away a second and third round pick, it really doesn't matter. Um, well, remember, the Steelers didn't have a first round pick for the first right. time since the 60s. Right, right. And yet, they still feel like they got such a good deal with Chase Claypool. That was, that's like a first round pick. Right, and some bad luck for the Eagles is playing into with Jalen Rager's injury. Yeah. Obviously, who knows where he'd be if he was on the field. But, Absolutely. You know, and you have Andre Dillard, their first-round pick the year before, is not playing. And, yeah. and that's why I didn't think it was smart for the Eagles to spend a second- and third-round pick on guys who are clearly developmental. We're not going to help you at all this year. Was, those, are, those are picks of hubris and, you know, thinking that you're further along than you are. And so I, I get a little uh, green around the gills and a little envious when I hear teams talking about – other other fans of their teams talking about hey we're getting great production out of our fourth rounder and our second rounders well lee what's that like well and what's crazy is that's not the steelers mentality especially this year Mm -hmm. and and in most years they don't with the exception of last year with devin bush where they traded up to get him Mm -hmm. the steelers don't expect anything out of their rookies they don't expect them to to start they don't they come in with very low expectations and, and get them going Chase Claypool has just come in and done so well. They have no choice but to put him on the field. Sure. If you got him playing well, you put him on the field. Right. So I think, but I, I was mentioning it just a second ago, and I'm, I'm curious to, to get your take on what you think a key matchup is here for the Eagles defense when they go up against the Pittsburgh offense. But for me, it is the defensive line going up against the, the Steelers offensive line. One of the few elite units I think this Eagles team has is along the defensive front. Um, the edge rushers have been performing really well lately. Jannard Avery had a breakout game last week against the 49ers, uh, but Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat has really kind of emerged this year as a, as a pretty good edge rusher, but they've really invested a ton of money in the defensive tackle spot with Fletcher Cox and uh, Malik Jackson and Javon Hargrave. Um, can you talk a little bit about that matchup? What do you think about the Eagles D-line going up against the Steelers O-line? That's the matchup of the game because that to me is the Eagles' biggest strength on either side of the ball. And the Steelers' offensive line last year was kind of a little bit tricky. This year, they they've had some issues with. Uh, I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the story, but Ramon Foster retired. The Steelers took their starting right tackle and moved him to left guard in Matt Filer because he's he came into the league as a developmental guy that was playing everywhere. Mm. So he's literally the guy that they can plug in anywhere. Um, they're still trying to figure out with him working next to Alejandro Villanueva you know, just playing off of each other Mm -hmm. there. But the right side was where the Steelers were a little bit iffy, especially when David DeCastro was out the first two weeks of the season. Stefan Wisniewski was their free agent signing that came in from Kansas City. You know, you all are familiar with him. Won a Super Bowl with Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. He came in and got hurt. So the Steelers, someone they didn't even want to dress every week, all of a sudden is starting in week two in their fourth, other fourth-round draft pick, Kevin Dotson, and he comes out and just completely blows the doors off of everyone's expectations. Zach Banner won the right tackle job. He got taken out by the terrible turf in New York, so he had an ACL when he was out for the year. And, and Chooks Okorafor, who he had that battle with, steps in, and Chooks is more the pass rusher, 
where or not pass you know pass blocker sure. more than more than Banner was more of the run blocker, mm-hmm. and they really were neck and neck. And Chooks has come in and played great. The Castro comes back. Dotson's now on the sideline, just just waiting around, and it seems like the the side of the ball where the Steelers were more worried about is actually now their strength. Mm-hmm. Marquise Pouncey's playing much better than last year. He had a really down year last year with everything, so. That's the Steelers' offensive line, but they are more geared for pass blocking than they are for run blocking. So this will be their biggest test um, coming up against this Philadelphia front. I mean, they had to go against – I mean, they went against Denver, but they went with the, against Denver without Von Miller. Okay. Then they had to go up against J.J. Watt, but Chooks Okorafor pretty much dominated that battle. Hmm. This is going to be really good to see what kind of offensive line the Steelers truly have. I think this is a good test for them this week. All right, let's flip to the other side of the football. And every time I talk to someone uh, who is with the, an opposing team that we're about to play, my, my first question whenever we talk about the Eagles offense is obviously going to be about Carson Wentz. He's the most talked about athlete in Philadelphia. Uh, he's one of the most talked about athletes in the NFL and in national circles because I think he is still so much of an enigma. We saw an MVP guy in 2017. We've seen flashes of it in the subsequent years, but we've seen a lot of inconsistency and obviously – He is the worst-rated quarterback in the NFL this season, and I just never thought I'd see that through four games uh, in any of Carson Wentz's four games in his career. So I like to ask the outsiders what what they see in Carson Wentz, what their opinion is of Carson Wentz, and and where he is in year number five. I mean, this is not a second-year guy, year number five. Well, remember how much that time was also lost due to injury. Right. So that's that's always tough to to gauge. As a as the, an opponent coming in, I look at Wentz, and I think that how the Steelers have to look at Wentz, and how the rest of the league looks at him is, yes, he's inconsistent. You have to plan for his very best game. So right now, I'm already going into this with the mindset of Wentz is going to have his best game of the season. You're going to get the, the Carson Wentz that you know he's capable of being. And then if he's not, then that's just an added bonus when it comes to the game. But you have to prepare for that. You really do because you know the potential of what he has. And if you, and if you take it for granted, he's gonna, that's going to be the game that he, that he shows what he can do, and then he's going to burn it. So when you look at the Eagles' skill position players, I mean, obviously part of what has gone on with Carson Wentz this year is the lack of consistency at the skill positions as well with Deshaun Jackson missing the Sunday night game. Uh, as we are recording this, it's still unclear whether or not he's going to play on Sunday. It's not clear whether Alshon Jeffrey is going to play. They've both been limited in practice as of this recording. So uh, maybe by the time this thing's published, we know whether or not those two guys are going to play. But uh, regardless, those are two older dudes who've missed a bunch of time and have had trouble staying on the field. And outside of that, you've got a lot of guys on the practice squad like Deontay Burnett and Greg Ward last year who came on, but is, you know, he is what he is. And um, a guy like John Hightower, who the Eagles drafted in the fifth round uh, last year, and he's done okay, made a couple of catches. But again, you're not expecting big things from your fifth round pick, at least at the start of his rookie season. So um, you're hoping that that this football team can find a way, and with Dallas Goddard out, they can't run 12 personnel as much, so they can find a way to get the ball down the field. What do you look at? What do you see when you look at this Eagles offense and some of the skill position players that that either make you worried or do you feel like this is among the, the weaker skill position groups in the NFL right now? Well, it really comes down to who's healthy more than anything, because yeah. Philly is one of those teams that's been decimated by injury. And because of that, the biggest fear going into this really has to do with the tight end position 
and the running backs receiving the ball out of the backfield. That's probably what the Steelers are focusing more than anything because of the other situations going on. So, I mean, Pittsburgh has been absolutely shut down against the run this year. Um, the, the, of the three teams they've already faced, they're in the bottom four in the league in rushing. Now you could say cause and effect of that. Are they, are the Steelers so well against doing so well against the run because those teams are at the bottom or are those teams at the bottom because they had to face the Steelers? Mm -hmm. Um, As the, as the, as the season goes on, we'll get to see that a little bit more, but so it's not really the running game that with the running backs you have to worry about. It's more, what can they do in the passing game? Because Mm -hmm. even in week one, when the Steelers completely shut down Saquon Barkley, when it came to rushing the ball, he did have his best parts of the game as a receiver. So, when it comes to wide receivers, I don't know that the Steelers are overly concerned, but they do have to account for the for although it's only one, you know, of the top notch tight ends of the two that you had, um, the tight end and running backs catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, and I know the Eagles, they really haven't done enough as far as I, I'm concerned, getting the ball to Miles Sanders and Boston Scott yeah. as receivers out of the backfield. I think they're one of the uh, the Eagles have been targeting their running backs among the least uh, among teams in the NFL, which is kind of surprising given that how successful they were in the last four weeks last year, utilizing the running backs as receivers yeah. out of the backfield and the skill with which Miles Sanders and Boston Scott seem to do that job. And Corey Clement has a history of being a good receiver out of the backfield, although uh, he's kind of been up and down since he came back this year. Um, like we talked about before where the Eagles defensive line going up against the Steelers offensive line was a big matchup. Again, this battle in the trenches of the Eagles offensive line, a makeshift offensive line with guys like Jordan Mailata, Nate Herbig, Matt Pryor, Jack Driscoll. We don't know how much Lane Johnson's going to play. If he's going to play, if he does play, will he play the whole game? Uh, Jason Peters is out. Jason Kelsey, we hope, you know, it looks like he's going to, he's healthy enough, but had a kind of a, a rough game last week, snapping the football. It's a, definitely it's a makeshift Eagles offensive line, and it's terrifying when you think about them going up against a Steelers defensive front, which, in your mind, are they the best in football right now? Oh, yeah. That, yeah. I, I have no doubt, and it's not just because I'm a Steelers <laughs> fan. But The numbers if you bear it out, do they not? I mean, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, T.J. Watt is your is – your, I mean, you can use pro football focus rankings – however you really want to. Right. But not only is TJ Watt the number one edge rusher in the league, the number one interior defensive lineman isn't Cam Hayward. It's Tyson Alualu who took mm-hmm. over as the nose tackle because of the loss of Javon Hargrave. And is actually, I hate to tell this to Eagles fans, he's actually really outplayed him this year yeah. of, of what we had from Hargrave in the past. Mm-hmm. So you look at that Steelers defensive front, those, those five, and – there's not a weakness. If I mean, you really need to double team everyone, and you, and you can. You need ten guys for them. So that's part of the reason why why Bud Dupree has been able to do the things he's done. And it's just it's all of them together. My my goodness. And with with this Eagles offensive line, that's really really is the definition of a makeshift line. Mm-hmm. It has the potential to to get out of hand on Sunday. So, so as we're looking at this matchup here on, on Sunday, I know the Steelers are 3-0. Uh, they had a, an unexpected bye week, as we talked about last week. Uh, the three teams they've beaten, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, and Houston Texans, um, have not gotten off to strong starts this year, uh, all three of them. And so uh, one of the things that has given Eagles fans, I think, a little bit of encouragement is the teams the Steelers have played or have not been very strong. And so my question to you is, having watched the Steelers, I mean, they've seems like they've handled each of these teams very well so far this year, which is what you got to do against the bad teams. But how good are the Steelers? You know, they've played three pretty bad football teams so far. How good are they? 
Well, that's what we were hoping to find out in week four, you know, when right. they went, when they had to go to Tennessee yeah. and got that ripped out of our chest. So the thing you have to remember is, as coach Tallman says often, you can only play the team that you're scheduled against. Correct. You know, it's not really the Steelers fault that the teams that they've played haven't had the best seasons. But the other thing is, is you might look at the, Oh, what did they beat them by very much? The last two weeks, the Steelers have ended the game kneeling the ball in the red zone. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they couldn't have even won the game sure. by even more. So you just got to make sure you do enough to get the win against these teams. And um, the Steelers are notoriously known for starting slow coming out of the bye. They have a very good record, but they don't start strong. Even last year, they were down 14 to nothing to the Dolphins, who hadn't won a game yet when they came out of their bye. Yeah. Now, they came back and won that 27 to 14. But the Steelers haven't scored a touchdown in the first quarter coming out of a bye since 2008. Wow. So, and they only have six points since then, you know, just two field goals. They start a little bit slower. But this isn't your typical bye. This was yeah. not the typical bye week for the Steelers. They didn't really have that time away that they would have otherwise. So you don't really know if that's going to play into it. And honestly, the Steelers are a little bit ticked off. And they're oh, no. probably going to try to take that out on the Eagles. That does not make me feel good, Dave. I'm not happy to hear that. That's very, very distressing news. Um, so uh, I also am seeing uh, that uh, I, I know that uh, Pennsylvania's governor um, has decided to allow some fans in the stands and that there will be, it yes. looks like, what, a few thousand Steelers fans in the stadium uh, on Sunday. Is that right? Yes. The The way it works is is that it, he gave the number of 7,500, but that includes everyone. That includes players, you know, team personnel, workers, everything. So the Steelers will have 5,500 fans in the stands. So, um, and as we said on one of our podcasts, that should equate to 1,100 terrible towels because everyone that's there needs to have one in each hand to make up for those of us that can't be there. I guess I wonder, you know, what are your thoughts on on fans coming back into the stands? I'm torn because obviously the Eagles are going to have a, a situation next week against the Ravens where they can allow to have fans in the stands, and I'm I'm a little torn about it. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, it's I'm just happy that, you know, when when TJ Watt comes through and gets a sack and he comes up and celebrates, there was nobody, you know, yeah, no one there yeah. at all. You know, when you, when you try to raise your hand as a defense to get the yeah. out, you can't do that when there's no one hey, there. Steve, they, make it louder yeah. back up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they tried playing Renegade. So, I mean, for I'm pretty sure most teams know about the about Heinz Field and the notion of playing the song Renegade. That is the yeah. big fire-up song. They did it for the Steelers' home opener. The players were just saying it just wasn't the same. They yeah. didn't even bother during the Texans. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ready to hear Renegade again. I'm ready to see the towels. I am a season ticket holder, but because I don't live in the area, mm-hmm. I had to opt out for the season just because of the uncertainty. Right. So I'm not going to, to be there. Um, but I'm just glad that, it, that there'll be something. And yeah. I know the players – that's just one more thing to get them a little bit more fired up, which unfortunately for Eagles fans, I don't know that that bodes well for you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. As, as far as, as far as uh, headwinds, that's probably low on the list, but it's not inconsequential. So for sure, it's just one of the thing Eagles are going to have to get to overcome here on Sunday. So uh, I don't know if you're comfortable making predictions, if you have a prediction in mind, but I just, I'll ask you just generally speaking, how do you see things going on Sunday afternoon? Well, I, I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to the Steelers, um, uh, sometimes too much. The last time the Steelers played the Eagles, it was that brutal 34-3 to game in Philadelphia. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but out of every team, th this goes back to 1940, which is as far back as I can go using my uh, using pro football reference. The Eagles have the best winning percentage against the Steelers. Mm. Now, granted, they used to play a lot before the merger, but even yeah. since the merger, the Eagles still have the best winning percentage against the Steelers. I didn't realize that. So, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of been the nemesis there. So between the history, the fans coming back, the impromptu bye week, having the chip on the shoulder, I the the struggles at the offensive line for the Eagles. I'm saying this could be a a, a perfect recipe for Steelers fans and a recipe for disaster for Eagles fans. Um, we we will be doing our prediction show later, but I'll go ahead and tip this off here. I have actually have the Steelers. 31 to nine against the Eagles Yeesh. because uh, that defense, they could really uh, shut, really shut it down. I, and I can't tell you that's, that's wrong. I can't tell you that's, you know, delusional because I, there is, there is absolutely a, a greater scenario than not that it ends up going that way rather than it being a, a close game or the Eagles coming out on top. So, um, you know, in Pittsburgh with some fans in the stands, I totally get it. I, I'm not exactly sure what my score is going to be yet, but I'm not picking the Eagles to win. I can tell you that right now. So, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, I'm, I, I cannot poo poo your, your prediction because it sounds, well, sounds reasonable. If I want to make your fans feel any better, I also picked the, the Eagles to, to lose last week when, sure. they, when they took on the 49ers. Yeah. So uh, I missed that one. Maybe it's something with the Eagles that I just can't get it right. Uh, I, I missed them too. I'm 0-4 picking Eagles games this year, <laughs> so nobody needs to listen to me anyway. Um, but listen, folks, make sure you're listening to Dave Schofield for all the podcasts that he does for Behind the Steel Curtain, and uh, make sure to catch up on some of that stuff at the end of the week here as you get ready for Eagles Steelers. Make sure you're reading BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and follow him on Twitter at STLRSuperFanDad. Dave, thanks so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, up next, we'll take a quick trip around the NFC East, including some big news with the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys. And I'll give you six reasons why the NFC East might be the worst division you've ever seen. That's coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So let's jump around the NFC East real quick and some big news with the Washington football team as head coach Ron Rivera announced on Wednesday that he was benching Dwayne Haskins and promoting his former backup in Carolina, Kyle Allen, to be the starter. And actually, Dwayne Haskins has been demoted to third string. Alex Smith will be the backup quarterback for the next few weeks. It's an interesting decision by Rivera, and he admitted this week that he said, quote, some people might not agree with me, but that's fine. That's what this is all about. For me personally and for this football team, I'm taking my shot. I'm going to see what happens in these next four games. I'm here to win. Now is an opportunity to see if we can win. And of course, Washington is tied with Dallas for second place in this awful division at one and three. Now, Rivera had spent the offseason talking about the future of Dwayne Haskins and that much of this season would be about evaluating their second year quarterback. But in Wednesday's news conference, he gave four reasons for demoting Haskins to third string. He said the first three were slow development inexperience in his scheme and really I don't how do you get more experience in the scheme unless you play and the upcoming schedule in which there will be three divisional games uh against uh, the NF in the NF against NFC East opponents now the Eagles don't take on Washington again until week 17 but uh if if Washington were to sweep those four games which is not gonna happen but even if they go three and one that might ultimately swing the division in their favor. But at 1-3, and three, Washington, again, tied with the Cowboys for second place behind the Philadelphia Eagles at 1-2-1. One, one. Rivera did say, and this is a very interesting reason, that the fourth reason for benching Haskins was a growing frustration among teammates at the quarterback's lack of progress. The coach said he sensed the frustration on the sideline during games because the guys want to win. And Rivera acknowledged that Haskins' opportunity has been hampered by the coronavirus pandemic and uh, the lack of playmakers around him. He did emphasize the importance of playing the team's best quarterback. And right now, Ron Rivera feels Kyle Allen is this team's best quarterback. Now, I can't necessarily disagree with that because Dwayne Haskins has not exactly shrouded himself in glory. And I'll, I'll point to a play uh, last Sunday in Baltimore against, uh, I'm sorry, in, in Washington uh, where uh, they were playing the Baltimore Ravens. Washington's down big. They're down 28 to 10 with 11:41 to play. So they're not winning this football game. But it's the fourth quarter of a game in which they're down 28 to 10. There's 11:41 to play and they're in a little bit of a tough spot. They have a fourth and goal from the 13-yard line. So the odds are low that you're going to convert this, but a field goal at this point does nothing for Washington's chances to win this game. So Ron Rivera decides to go for it because part of what he wanted was to see what Dwayne Haskins would do. He wanted to see what kind of throw Dwayne Haskins would make. Because in that situation, when you're down 28-10, to 10, you probably only have two more possessions left after this one in order to get the game tied or, or take the lead or get yourself in a position to make the final minutes interesting. Dwayne Haskins has to throw the ball in the end zone, even if nobody's open, even if all 11 defenders are in the red or in the end zone, the ball has to go there. The ball has to go into the end zone and you've got to hope a guy makes a play or the ball takes a lucky bounce and falls into somebody's hands. That's what's got to be done in that situation. Instead, Dwayne Haskins dumps it off. He dumps it off to, to the nine yard line. 
and they turn the ball over on downs. That's not a competitive play, and that's that shows a lack of situational awareness in Dwayne Haskins, and that's something that has to be dealt with by Washington. And their decision, their 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 way of dealing with that lack of development is to make him the third string quarterback. And hey, maybe that's the best thing for him. Maybe that maybe that is something that that spurs on his development because he has not been good this year. He he has been a below average quarterback. Um, right now, uh, Dwayne Haskins has an 80.3 passer rating, which was fifth worst in the league. However, second best in the division. Daniel Jones is 68.3 is worse. In fact, second worst in the NFL. And of course, Carson Wentz's 66.9 is the worst quarterback rating in the NFL. So right now, three of the five worst quarterbacks are doing their thing in the horrific NFC East. That's one of the six reasons why the NFC East is perhaps the worst division you've ever seen. One of the other reasons is the Dallas Cowboys defense. And the the Cowboys defense has been so abhorrent, way more so than we thought they would be. We knew they had a chance to be pretty bad, but they've allowed 146 points in four games this year. That's the most in team history. They gave up 20 points to the Rams in week one. 39 in a win to the Falcons, a win they should not have gotten, 38 to Seattle, and then 49 last week to the Cleveland Browns. They're giving up 430.5 yards per game, third worst in the NFL, an insane 172.5 yards per game on the ground, second worst in the league, and quarterbacks have a 114.3 rating against Dallas's secondary this season, third highest in the NFL with just one interception so far. And the Cowboys now are also dealing with a string of injuries. They've already lost starting right tackle along the offensive line, Lyle Collins, for the year. And now starting left tackle, Tyron Smith, is about to join him on injured reserve. He's going to undergo neck surgery and will be out for the season. Smith had played in 100% of the Cowboys' snaps back in Week 1 before having to miss the next two games. He played 100% of the snaps last week, but that would be his final game of the year. So Brandon Knight, an undrafted rookie free agent, will could be at left tackle. Um, they could decide to to move some folks over and, and shift the line around a little bit. It sounds like Jerry Jones was kind of hinting that something like that could happen. But, you know, so when you talk about the Eagles and you talk about the injuries, they're not the only ones in the NFC East who are dealing with injuries right now. So Tyron Smith's replacement, Brandon Knight, ranks 43rd among all at his position in PFF grade through week four. That is a significant drop off in production. Now, It'll be, it remains to be seen exactly what they can do. And and frankly, losing Lyle Collins didn't hurt the offense at all last week. And they've got a ton of playmakers that you would think that uh, they might be able to get by. But that is a that's a huge loss for the Dallas Cowboys. And so one of my other ways in which the NFC East might be the worst team, the worst division you've ever seen is the Eagles injury situation, which, of course, is well known at this point. Uh, we don't have to run through the list of players who have been injured, but clearly the, the, the amount of injuries that have piled up uh, for the Eagles has has really limited what they can do, especially offensively. And now the Dallas Cowboys, I think you could lump them into that situation. Injuries in the division, Saquon Barkley's injury in New York certainly factors into that as well. And that dovetails into another reason why this could be the worst division you've ever seen. The Giants offense has been awful. Jason Garrett's arrival in New York has not exactly helped Daniel Jones or the Giants offense. Only the Jets have averaged fewer yards per game than the Giants so far. Jones is playing without Saquon Barkley, which is part of the reason why they are averaging an NFL low 11.8s per game through the first four weeks, easily the lowest total in the NFL. Jones has been sacked 14 times this year, tied with Wentz for third most in the league, and their 76.5 rushing yards per game is second worst, 
three yards better than the Houston Texans, 73 and a half. Daniel Jones has no touchdowns in his last three games, is on pace for eight touchdown passes this season. So one of the other instances, uh, one of the other reasons why that this team, the NFC East is, is so problematic is the fact that Washington has no playmakers around Dwayne Haskins, really just Terry McLaurin, who is a fantastic wide receiver, and rookie running back Antonio Gibson, and we still know exact we still don't know exactly what he is. So the final thing is just the records of, of these teams. And three twelve and one entering week four is abysmal. They could challenge, I think most folks agree that the worst division in NFL history was in twenty fourteen when the NFC South was a was an absolute tire fire. The Panthers won the division with a 7-8 and 1 record. Can't you see the Eagles winning this division with a 7-8 and 1 record? I sure can. The New Orleans Saints were at 7 and 9. The Atlanta Falcons were 6 and 10 and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that year were tanking for Jameis Winston and finished 2 and 14. The division had a combined 22-41 and 1 record that year, one of the worst divisions in NFL history and the NFC East is fixing to give that record a run for its money. Through 4 weeks, the NFC East is 2-11 and 1 against teams outside the division, and they have been outscored by a combined 125 points. And it doesn't look to get a whole lot better anytime soon with Washington. And, and you know, listen, maybe going with Kyle Allen is exactly what Washington needs to, to, to help them move into first place. It's not going to take much, but listen, Kyle Allen's a career backup for a reason. And I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins is the answer, but... This is not a go-for-it season. I mean, I know what Ron Rivera is saying, that the players are having a hard time watching Dwayne Haskins and do what he does and, and fail to develop, but the only way you're going to know about this guy, don't you at least want to know what Dwayne Haskins is? You're not going to the playoffs this year if you're Washington. Don't you at least want to know what Dwayne Haskins is? Now, here's the thing. Ron Rivera did obviously had nothing to do with selecting Dwayne Haskins in the draft. So... Yes, I understand. He doesn't really feel beholden to Dwayne Haskins, but there's got to be other people in the organization that do. And so it's an interesting decision. It's a decision I disagree with, especially because I don't think a lot of what's been going on with Dwayne Haskins is necessarily his fault. He has not been given enough playmakers. He has not been given a good enough offensive line. He is still making lots of mistakes. And maybe many, many of the mistakes he's making, the lack of progression in his career isn't his fault because of COVID-19, but dropping him to third string, it's going to work out one of two ways. It's either going to kill his confidence or it's going to make him work harder and it's going to make him a better player. I'll tell you which way I'm leaning. <laughs> Given all we know about Dwayne Haskins and the space between his ears, I don't think it's going to do him any good. And I don't think Ron Rivera cares necessarily if it's going to do him any good. He cares more about the other guys in the locker room. Maybe that's his job. Maybe that's what he's supposed to do. You know, care about the rest of the team rather than just one quarterback. But he's a guy that this team drafted super high in the first round just two years ago. And you're already going to bail on him? Man, that's a tough decision. So anyway, let's take a look ahead at this weekend's Eagles-Steelers game. And as Dave mentioned, I think this could be a really tough game for Philadelphia. He's predicting more of a blowout than I am. I think it's going to be a closer score. I do think Pittsburgh wins this football game. Uh, they just they have a more talented team. If the Eagles O-line can hold up against the Steelers' defensive line, then yes, there, there may be a path forward. But the Steelers' defensive line should win that battle. 
Now, the Eagles' defensive line should win their battle against the Steelers' offensive line. So you might have a canceling effect, and I think this could be an ugly game. I think this could be a game dominated by defenses and field goals. So I'm going to call kind of a field goal fest here. I'm going to call this Pittsburgh 20, Philadelphia 16. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Dave Schofield for coming on the podcast. Just a reminder to check out BleedingGreenNation.com every day for all of the latest news and information about the Philadelphia Eagles as they get ready for this weekend's game against Pittsburgh. And also don't forget to check out all of our Bleeding Green Nation podcasts and leave a five-star review at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. G and